Hello and welcome to another edition of Turned Out of Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham, and once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved in punk, but had their life changed by this genre in a major way. And today on the show, it's a repeat customer because it's Dracula's week here, celebrating the release of Terminal Amusement. We've had Mike on from the band, and now returning to the show for for his fifth time, Technically, though, only really a part two, maybe a part three. Zach Blair from Rise Against, from uh, Dracula's, from Guar, from helping MVP save the Misfits from being murdered by the Macho Man Randy Savage. Check out episode 101 for that whole crazy story. Trust me, it's well worth your time. And, and now, of course, from the Dracula's and, and also Hagfish, so much, so much. But we'll get to all that in one second. But first, if you want to get in touch with me, send an email to turnoutapunkpodcast at gmail.com. That is an email address uh, run by my brother and show producer and guest booker, normally extraordinaire, Tristan Abraham. Thank you, Tristan, for all your hard work that you do on this show. He also does a Facebook page and an Instagram page. Both of those can be found uh, turned out of punk on their respective platforms. And uh, he'll get the message to me. But if you want to get in touch with me directly, you can find me. Does that make any sense at all? If you want to get in touch with me directly, you can find me on various forms of social media at Left for Damien. If you want to support the show, the best way of supporting the show is by telling all your friends about it. Also, thank you everyone that goes over to the Patreon.com, Patreon.com slash Punk page and supports that there. Um, and speaking of support, this show would not be possible with the kind, loving support of the fine folks at Vans, who came aboard a few uh, years ago now and said we want to help you out with your show, and and it's been great. So thank you very much, Vans, for doing that. And when we're finally allowed outside again, House of Vans will be back, and, and we're going to be partying like it was uh, 2018. You know, I went to some amazing shows there in 2018. In 2019, I went to some amazing shows at the House of Vans, so... Uh, we got a lot. We got a lot to look forward to when the, when civilization comes back online. Uh, but until that time, we're going to keep the hits coming. That turned out a punk, starting with tonight. Well, I guess we've been starting a while ago, but but the hits are going to keep on coming, starting with tonight. Because tonight we got Zach Blair returning to the show, my buddy, uh, my my co-host here at Turn Out a Punk. Sometimes Chris O'Toole might challenge him for that crown. I think you know Chris. Chris has been uh, riding shotgun for a long time, but Zach's there too. Zach's with us in 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 the in the truck because Zach and Chris knew each other from touring way back when. But anyway, I digress. Zach is here because the Draculas have a brand new record, Terminal Amusement. You can pick it up on Dynalone Records. And uh, anytime I get to talk to Zach, it's a great time. So we get to all sorts of weird stuff here, uh, and and that's it. I'm not going to ramble on anymore because uh, I, I ramble a lot to you now. So. Sit back, relax, and enjoy Zach Blair on Turned Out a Punk. I love you, Zach. Zach, thank you so much for coming on the podcast again. Hi, how are you doing? You know, the, the first thing I thought is that your loyal, amazing fans and listeners are going to roll their eyes and be like, this fucking guy again? Like, come on. Well, every come time on, you Damian. come on, every time you come on, it's for something pretty awesome. So we got to make this one count. <laughs> we got to make it count. We got to make it count. <laughs> but you've been on four times. No, this is five times now. Is it? Okay. Well, I know we did my part one, which by the way, have we, have you done part twos? I've done a part two. I've done a few part twos actually. Like not, not like a shit ton. Like the problem is. Um, without the focus of the part one, I find the part twos get a little meandering. Um, sure. So, but I've had, I've done, um, Jerry A, there's a Jerry A part two. That's a good part two. There's a Lars part two. Um, technically with you there, this is really a part three. Well, is this, I mean, I was about to say, is this, is this technically going to be a part of well, I, what I thought a part two, but yeah, part, let's, let's, let's get it on. Well, cause I so think that we, sure, go, go ahead. On that's you know what and that's another thing that's going to happen like a thousand times you i talk over you so much because we're excited to talk to each other well i went back and i listened to our first episode together which was in the first kind of two years of the show and uh, i gotta apologize i power talked and stepped all over you and i've become a much better podcaster i don't give a shit i mean look i love talking <laughs> to you you're one of my favorite people in the world so i always it's it's out of pure excitement that i'm just like oh dude did you know this and uh, well, you know whatever oh yeah no so, feelings 100 percent mutual Absolutely. We did, we did part one mm -hmm. and then you, 
introduced me to my long lost friend who is now a professional wrestler MVP, which was fucking mind blowing and crazy. And we've been trying to make a movie about it. Yeah. yeah. Um, then you had me as a co-host live. Well, we, right? you were on just before that to promote the co-host live thing. Right, right, right. And we ended up talking for a while. So technically, yes, but this is an official part two to like the first one, because the first one in my dumb, boring, long, weird career, we had only really gotten to like the fact that I had played in Guar. We didn't even get up to like the fact that I play in Rise Against and all that shit. No, we left it at you were just joining Only Crime when we left it. Oh, right. We had just Russ had just kind of called me and we had sort of we're talking about that. So I guess uh, if anyone gives a fuck, um, then maybe go back and listen to my first one with Damien, which was how long ago? How many years ago was that? I think it's episode 60. Oh man. I, I had it on my phone. It was 62 or 63. Shit. And I'm now, I'm about to, I'm going to hit 300 this year. Holy fuck, dude. Well, I've well, been, a congratulations B it's a great podcast. It's I appreciate amazing. that. Thank you very much. Well, you believed in it way back in the beginning, Zach. So but well, I, I, always, I say the greatest arc in the history of this podcast is because I interviewed you, and then the next week, not even knowing that you guys had any connection, I interviewed MVP, and then the two of you together came back onto the show. And to me, that is almost the part two for both of you guys. I think you're right, man. But I it's think a, you're right. Well, it's almost like a prequel. It is a prequel. Well, I remember you you hit me up and was like, dude, you grew up with this kid that is now a huge wrestler. I know we've told the story a bunch, but if you're just now listening, you're tuning in and I was like, no, I didn't. And you're like, no, you totally did. And it took me a while for it to dawn on me who this guy was. And then we, you reintroduced us on the podcast. The, the shitty thing is that we had already done it and we weren't recording it and yeah. then we had to do it again. But oh, well, it was still, I, my mind was, fucking blown and now him and i you know we stay in touch and uh he comes and sees me when i'm in houston it's it's amazing you know i've i've rekindled you have rekindled this friendship with this guy it's amazing well i, I think the the other thing about that thing and the reason it keeps coming up time and time again is it kind of underscores the entire thesis of this podcast was which, which is that punk rock connects everything cool in this world even when people don't even realize that it connects them. I think you're right, man. I think you're right. Because if you look into that, I mean, as a fucking like cutting edge chef that's creating all kinds of new inspiring dishes and things like that, you you start noticing dude's got tattoos. You read a story. It's like, well, I was a punk kid. I was a hardcore kid. I used to go to shows. You know, it's almost always all roads lead to like an our age group or anyone young from our age to younger, even to older, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, if, if, if they were, uh, if they're on the cutting edge of anything, it, it's sort of all roads end in punk rock and to it almost to an annoying, uh, I, I notice you know, if you watch a fashion show or whatever, they're always saying, you know, using the, Oh, it's so punk rock, you know, it's so whatever. It's like, you can always tell when somebody has never listened to a punk band in their fucking life or a punk record. And they're just saying it because it's actually the, the like the cool thing to say nowadays, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, because, Cause it didn't used to be the cool thing. No, exactly. Well, it's funny. Cause like, you know, we, we talked about it on the, the last episode, um, we, the, well, the first episode that you were on, like it was something that would get you beat the fuck up at one point. Totally. It's just something that I had to like make the conscious decision to, out myself as like, okay, I'm going to wear this fucking COC shirt to school today. You know, I'm going to wear this. And by the way, for those that don't know, COC's first records were insanely a punk. Um, <laughs> people are going to go, Oh, that's a metal band. No, no, believe um, me. They've, they, we've had, we haven't had anyone from COC proper on the show, but we've had enough people from their, their circles that they are very much connected to the universe we're building on this thing. Dude, Mike Dean, if you had Mike Dean or or Woody Weatherman, it's it's a shame Reed Mullen passed away, too. I mm-hmm. can't believe that. But anyway, you know, uh, or or in any of my my shirts that I had been buying in Dallas, my dad would take us to Dallas because that was like the, the big city. You know, we were like 45 minutes away from it to start wearing those shirts in high school meant like, OK, I'm going to be a fist magnet, but this is who I am and I'm going to fucking do it. And luckily I had an older brother that like really enjoyed fighting and really could fight because he, he's kind of fucking screw loose. Um, 
And so, you know, it was the thing that got you the shit beat out of you. Now it's the thing that somehow helps you fit in, you know? Well, it, it's also funny because, well, it's not funny, but it's one of those things that's also come up on the show since we we did that episode way back when a lot is, is especially from people in Los Angeles, is how much of that violence that typifies that scene was kind of like born out of the fact that these people were defending themselves. And eventually they suddenly realized like, oh, shit, we, we don't have to. We could fight people. <laughs> like we Absolutely. Can... It's like Bill, you know, Stevenson would say. Man, you know, Black Flag got this bad rap because they were saying that, like, oh, there was riots incited at their shows. He was like, no one fucking pointed out that the cops were coming to those shows and inciting those riots. Like, the cops would come and park outside the show and just fuck with kids as they walked into the show. Mm -hmm. And so at some point, kids would just go, fuck you. And then it became this whole thing. And then it was like, oh, Black Flag, there's a riot at the show. You know, it's not fair. Yeah. Well, um, and, and also like, well, like not to get you to speak for your brother on your, or on your brother's behalf, but on that episode with, with MVP, you kind of outline how you guys were being picked on by these rodeo jocks. So I'm sure part of your brother's propensity for, for being able to fight is born out of that having to fight. Dude, man, my brother. So he's, we're 19 months apart, but it was like two years in school grade. So he was like, when I was say in eighth grade, my brother was in 10th grade. And so in Sherman, you went to high school in ninth, ninth grade. So my brother had already been in school uh, for a, a, a year. You know, he'd already done a grade before I got there. And that year on him, he was there without me because I always had a big mouth. My brother was always a shy kid. Yeah. It just started with him getting his ass kicked because he, you know, had metal shirts and punk rock shirts. And then at one point, he was just like, fuck this. And he had had enough. And he started really fighting to the point where he was getting in fights every day and i mean we come from a very small christian conservative white bread bullshit awful fucking town um because we were broke my parents i'm sure they would have loved to have moved us to dallas raise us in dallas with at least a semblance of culture or a scene or whatever but they just couldn't and so we were the fucking weirdo kids and my and we didn't fit in anywhere we didn't even have a click you know we didn't even have like okay you know so my brother to this day, if some, he just doesn't take shit from anyone. And it's not, I'm not advocating that. I'm not advocating like fighting street fighting. He, I don't think, you know, even he wouldn't, but it's that knee jerk reaction where he's just like, boom, you know, something sets off in him and he just kind of throws a breaker and, you know, it, it goes for chemical imbalance and he just doesn't stop. It's, it's, it's kind of crazy. And it was because of this, he should have seen a therapist about it at some point, I mm -hmm. think, but you know, it's shaped who he is. You know, it's it's crazy. He tried to turn it productive. I mean, he has he uses that energy. He does martial arts and he has a few black belts and all that stuff. So he tries to turn it positive. But man, it's still in there. You know, I don't think it'll ever go. Mm -hmm. Well, and and it, it, you know, maybe instead of him going to therapy, those kids shouldn't have fucked with people well, just for being into different stuff, right? Like exactly. No, you're you're absolutely right. That that's that's me. That's my personality in a nutshell. You know, like the, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> no, I get it too. Right. Cause I'm the same way, but like it's 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 weird when you look back on it and you're like, "Damn, how much trauma was inflicted on these people that would wind up inflicting trauma on other kids at punk shows?" Like, not not exactly. excusing it at all, but and not saying your brother was doing this, but like you know when you hear about these sort of like horrific episodes of violence, it's like, well, what violence begat that violence? Exactly, and you know, and I have to admit my own sort of. Um, Oh, immaturity, because, you know, those kids now are grown adults with families and children and stuff. And my, my brother's a professional musician. He's a bass player, and he does what I do for a living. And these guys will come to our shows all across America, wherever they settled. A lot of the times it's Texas. And they want to talk. And I, I remember every fucking one of them. You know, I never forgot him. And my brother, to his credit, is very nice. He's a very, very nice person. And he'll always, ah, dude, it's fun. I, and I swear to God, man, I, I have to admit, it, I'll just tell you, fuck you, <laughs> you know, like, I, I remember what they looked like when they were a kid, all shit, and all this comes come, comes back. I, I should probably work on that. <laughs> well, I think imagine in Rise Against, you have to deal with it a lot more because of, like, the presence the band has, right? Like, it's not mm -hmm. like if you were playing in just, like, government flu in 2020 <laughs> you might not have these people coming out of the woodwork asking you for free tickets to the show exactly exactly but i've had them i've had the guys that fucked with us back then that like made our high school career a living hell 
and have I've had those dudes reach out to me, you know, on like Facebook. Hey, dude, I see you're playing, you know, such and such, man. Can you think you could hook me up? Like, what the fuck? <laughs> you know, like, what balls you have? <laughs> I remember when I was a little kid and I was reading, I think it was in Muddle Fanzine. Yeah, I think it was Muddle Fanzine, but it was an interview with Pavement. And they were talking about just how awesome it was to, like, get to a point in their career when they were opening for a band and people that they hated in high school that were dicks to them in high school hitting them up for free tickets and just being Oh, like, yeah. And it's just like, wow, it's amazing the the petty satisfactions you're afforded playing in a band. <laughs> well, because it's that, it is that immature kid. Yeah. He's still in there. Yeah. You know, that person's still in there, man. They're, all the people you've been, they're still in there. Mm-hmm. And that guy gets the voice at that point. Cause that guy starts going, fuck this. You're not going to do this. Are you? You're not really going to do this. And then, uh, I mean, fortunately, cooler heads prevail and your adult self goes, yes, man, it's who fucking cares, you know. But there are those times and you're like, one's instance will, you know, spark. Like, I remember one day you did this. It's like, all right, fuck this, man. <laughs> I'm not giving this guy shit. Well, it's also it's like it's one thing if like, you know, they needed blood for a blood transfusion and you're denying them blood. But the, but this is like, yeah, this is a culture that they fucked with you for being a part of that they now want to reap the benefits of what you did from. And it's like, well, no, you, you don't get to do that. Like that, I can totally, you know, like if you're denying someone, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're not helping put them out when they're on fire because they were mean to you in, in high school, exactly. it's like, you gotta let that stuff go. But like what you're describing, nah, own Dude, that. Ex- exactly. Because now their kids think that this band is cool. I remember when like guitar hero and all that stuff was a thing and rise against was on, you know, it was either Guitar Hero or Rock Band. It was one of those. Um, and I had it a lot because these kids, these these guys, kids were getting introduced to us. You know, they were playing, man, it would be so cool if I could bring, you know, Hunter or Tanner or Tyler or whatever fucking stupid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not that Hunter's a bad name, because I have a, anyway. Uh, we have, um, we, I know we both have a friend named Hunter, or and we probably we both definitely have friends named Tyler as yes, well. Yes, we so. do, we do, we do. Um, but I knew exactly what you meant. As soon as you, you know what I mean? Um, and we bring him out, you know. And most of the time, I did it. I mean, most of the time. But it does stick in your fucking craw, man. You know, like yeah, for exactly what you said. It's like you used to kick my ass for liking this shit and now your kid likes it and so you're gonna play you know dad of the year and bring him out to to the show and i could tell your son or your daughter what a piece of shit you used to be (laughs) you know like you used to fucking beat me up you know yeah it's not cool for liking music it's like just for liking liking music music. (laughs) For liking music, you know, so uh, it's unbelievable. Well, let's jump actually, you know, because we we did, you know, we've been on the show multiple times, but we never did continue the story from the first episode. So when we did leave it last time, you had just joined Only Crime, right? Well, you know, I had quick war um, because I, you know I'm I'm not I'm not a I don't drink, smoke, or do drugs, but. I, you know, not since I was a kid have I claimed, you know, straight edge or whatever, because I just that's going to really limit your sort of scope in life, I think, you know, because you're going to be the minority more often than not. And so uh, Russ Rankin from the band Good Riddance, it, it just the funny the way the universe works sometimes, because I quit Guar. My brother and I were trying to do like a side project, like a thing called Armstrong, which was basically songs that I had left over from Hagfish. And I was going to sing and we actually made a record and Bill Stevenson's label at the time, Bill had a label called owned and operated, which is very much sort of his version of say a fat records or uh, epitaph where he was signing bands that he sort of curated, like he, he produced them and, and then he would put the records out. So he put our record out. No one cared. The distribution wasn't very good. And we toured, we actually toured. We went out with all for the entire summer of 2003 But in the middle of all that, um, I was trying to get that going, trying to do that. And then Russ got my number, I think, from the Fat Rec office. And he wanted to start a band. He didn't want to claim straight edge, but he did want to start a band with guys that didn't drink, smoke or do drugs. Just he just wanted to be focused and just, you know, work on music and not have a a party element or vibe to it. And so um, I didn't know Russ. And but, you know, I liked Good Riddance. And so I was like, yeah, sure, let's do it. And he had already 
gotten Aaron Dahlbeck from Bain involved. And so Bill Stevenson heard that we were doing this and Bill had recorded Goodrin's records. He had recorded Hackfish records and he had just done the Armstrong record with me. And so he was like, man, all this is before descendants were, had, them, had made their comeback and all were com- pretty much defunct as well. So all Bill was doing was just sitting in the studio and telling bands how to play their instruments, essentially, <laughs> you know, um, and he was getting burned, you know, he was kind of sick of it. Yeah. Uh, he wanted to play drums again. He wanted to get, be in a band. So he was like, just told us, he was like, I want to be a part of this. And so for us and I was like, that means we'd be the fourth band Bill Stevenson is in the other three being the descendants, black flag and all, you know what I mean? We were like, yeah, let's do it. You know? Um, so, uh, at the time, Pete, from Bane, the bass player from Bane was also was going to be the bass player, but in, things ended up not working. He he couldn't do it, so I wrote. I got my brother to do it. Uh, my brother who also doesn't drink, smoke, or do drugs, and then it just clicked. I mean, the first rehearsal was just like, you know, for us, we were trying to take like the the more sort of weird aspect of Black Flag, where they kind of got in the Bill era, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. and sort of do something with that, and and people didn't really care that much. <laughs> you know, we really thought it was like, oh, dude, this is good. We toured a shitload, though. We did tour, like, every fucking band took us out for a few years. We went to Japan on the Fat Tour. We went to Europe twice, I believe. Uh, it was great. And most importantly, what we did for me was we toured with Rise Against because they had been making their records with Bill and they liked the band. We were like a band's band. Like, bands liked us. People... Because we didn't sound enough like any of the bands that people knew us from. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Uh, we were really trying to do our own thing. But like Bane, we went out with Bane, but Bane fans didn't like us. Because we weren't like a hardcore band, traditionalized hardcore mm-hmm. band. Mm-hmm. Uh, Good Riddance fans didn't like us because we weren't melodic enough. Descendants fans didn't like us. We didn't sound anything like that. And Hagfish fans didn't know what to think at all. Um, so we were in this weird, you know, we were really starting as a, a different thing. It's also hard to think of like who... It would make sense, like it would make more sense now for the band to be out there and touring with bands. But like, it feels like the early two thousands was like very genre based. Like, if you, you, dude, you know, yes, yes. Like we were, we would do, we did like a stint of the Warp tour, like a week and a half, maybe two weeks of the Warp tour, and man, it was only bands coming over and watching us. Like the kids <laughs> did not give a fuck. They wanted to hear, you know what was in vogue at the time, like super sugary, sweet pop melodies about being a dorky little boy in, in love. And, you know, they, they just did not know what the fuck we were doing. They just, you know, couldn't process it. Uh, but everybody would come over to watch Bill play drums. You know, uh, that's always our thing. Cause it's always like going to school, watching that guy play drums. Um, and we loved it. We realized it was going to be an uphill battle, but you know, we, we had it in us to kind of try to make it happen. Well, Lo and behold, I had met the Rise Against guys because it's a long story, but but at one point they had a guy filling in for them. It was a guy named Phil Philip Hill. Philip had been in a band called the Teen Idols. You remember the Teen Idols? Yeah, were they the the? You mean the Fat? They were on Fat, or were they on Honest Dawns? They were on Honest Dawns, and okay. see, that's how I knew him because Hackfish's second record was on Honest yeah, Dawns. Of course. And for those who don't know, Fat, an offshoot label like a sister label called Honest Dawns, that was that was basically for like. Fat at the time was so stylized and sort of curated, like most of the, you know, you could tell a fat wreck band. Well, Honest Dawns was for bands that basically didn't sound like fat wreck bands. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it was like the same label, but it was just a different name. So Honest uh, Hackfish was on Honest Dawns, the Teen Idols were on Honest Dawns. And so we had played shows together and we got to know each other really well. They would stay with us in Dallas. Well, Philip hit me up at one point. I was like, hey, dude, I'm touring with that new band on fat called the Teen Idols. Uh, come on out to the show. And I did. And I met the guys then. And so we had known each other for a while. Lo and behold, now only crimes touring with them. And we all just hit it off. I mean, I remember hanging out in their dressing room more than my own. And just really, I just felt like I knew the guys forever. Uh, at one point Barnes, uh, Brandon, the drummer had moved to Austin cause his wife is from here and him and I got to hang out a whole bunch and stuff. So I really just sort of hit it off with those guys. Mm-hmm. And so it was through Only Crime that I met them. I really got to know them. And when they needed a guitar player, thankfully, they just 
I mean, hit me up. I was working a day job. I was working two day jobs and only crime was still happening. Uh, we were, had just put out a record and we're about to go tour and they hit me up saying, Hey dude, we'd like you to be in rise against. And there wasn't, wasn't an audition process or anything. It was just come out here and be our guitar player. You know? So I did it. And I was just, I meant to ask you this before, I guess, but like when, after your guar, you never wanted to do like another metal thing. Like, you know, it was like immediately back to punk stuff. Well, dude, you know, yes, because, you know, I've often said I'm about sometimes I'm 60, 40, sometimes I'm 50, 50, but with punk into metal, but I got into both genres at the same time of my life. So I, a great thrash metal song gets me off as much as any punk song. I mean, I have to admit. And so, yeah, I've always wanted to have some sort of metal project again, and I've written metal ever since. You know, uh, I've hit up my friends like Willie from Lamb of God or whoever, like, dude, let's do a project together, you know, but nobody ever has time. Yeah. But I have so much. I mean, it was really good for me to be able to go. I, I, I went back to Guar in, I believe, 2013, 2014, because unfortunately, um, the guy that had replaced me in Guar, I quit Guar in 2002. And uh, a guy named Corey Smoot replaced me. Uh, as the character I was, which was Flatus Maximus. And Corey, unfortunately, died after about 10, maybe 11 years. So they wanted to keep going. They had, were in the middle of, they were starting to work on a record. They asked me to come and help them just just retain momentum. You know, if they slowed down, they, he had become a f- super integral member of the band, a member of the family. Everyone, you know, loved him. And it was a huge blow. And so I was able to go back uh in between Rise Against tours, I would just fly to Richmond for however long, a few months, and we got to write uh, that record together. It's called Battle Maximus. So it's not the last Guar record that came out. It's the record before last that came out, I believe. And and it's... I could be wrong about that. It could be two. But anyway, mm-hmm. uh, it was so rewarding and awesome for me because I had all this metal stuff written that had no outlet for it. And I played on half of that record and I wrote half of that record. And then they were auditioning guitar players during the process. And they found the guy that plays with them now is a guy named Brent Purchison. And they created a new character for him, his Pustulus Maximus. And he's amazing. He's a great guitar player. He's perfect for the band. He's, he's awesome. Great guy. Um, but it ended up being Dave Brockie's last record because they started touring that record. And they finally made it to Japan, which they had never done before. And... Um, Unfortunately, uh, Dave died. Mm. Uh, he passed away. And so I got to be a part of Dave's last record, which I'll always just, I, I thank whoever, uh, that I got to do that and be a part of that. But long story short, yes, I would love to be, I would love to have another metal project. (laughs) I guess like also, you know, were you touring with Guar when you were doing, when you're back with them again? No, 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 I wasn't. You know, it's funny. They offered me, I almost actually did tour with them. There's been a few opportunities since I left, but most recently, I believe it was last year, they can tour as a four piece with only one guitar player because what they'll do is Brad, their drummer, he plays to a click track for their whole set anyways. Mm-hmm. He's, a, that's a very hard thing to do. And B, he's just one of the world's greatest unsung drummers. Like the guy is... He's, he's probably the best metal drummer that I've ever, and he's just, he's the drummer in Guar, so people don't think of him as, you know, this genius, amazing, you know, musician. And that was always the thing that stuck in my craw about being in that band. But anyway, uh, so they have, they can play as a four piece with all the other guitar tracks on, you know, as a track, you know, so they play to that. Well, they could have done that, but they asked me to come back. This was last year, and Rise Against had just finished touring. It was for a fall tour, and they wanted me to come back and be the lead guitar player again. And I was, it, I can't remember why it fell through. The tour actually might have fallen through, but at the time, Rise Against had been, we had just finished that tour with AFI. We did like a, two stints of this really, these two long, really long tours, and I would have been home for just a few days and then had to go and do that. And a Guar tour, man, it was so, hey, I wouldn't have had time to really properly rehearse. And a Guar show is not like getting on stage with any other band. I mean, you're wearing like a 60-pound rubber costume. So it's 
it's a lot. You got to practice for like a month for it. Yeah. So there's that. But man, I would actually still love to do it someday. I've it 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 it's always in the back of my head. Like ah, I've had dreams where I'm, I'm you know those reality dreams you have where I'm like on stage and I have the rubber mask on my face and everything. You know, it's crazy. Well, I think it's also probably because of the the gimmick as well that you don't appreciate this. But like just from hearing from other musicians, and you would know this firsthand, like. Few bands tour as hardcore as Guar does when they tour. Like when that guitar player passed away, they didn't miss that date that night, right? They played Dude, that show in Winnipeg. Isn't that bananas? I mean, they came through Austin. When they asked me to come and be a part of it again, they they were finishing that tour. So they were out as a four piece. They stayed, like I said before, they can play as a four piece. Um and we were we were in Austin and they played the show and I just, man, you know, giving him my sincerest condolences. Cause I loved Corey too. He's a great guy. And they're telling me the story of how it happened. And, and he had passed away. They, they were on the bus, mm-hmm. um, which I'm not letting any cats out of the bag. I mean, that's been reported and you know, reported. Mm-hmm. And they were in that bus. They stayed in the bus. Like they, they just kept going, you know, and I think it's just to a greater degree of, you know, as well as I do, if you just do this, what we do for a living, that's just what you do. There's no, it just, you got to keep going. You got to fucking keep going, you know? And I've always said that about them. Like I've never seen, a, I don't know if that's can chalk up to pure work ethic as much as it is just like if we stop now we're just gonna stop because it is so hard to mount the whole guar experience essentially but they're one of the few bands that's still really diy mm-hmm. in the truest sense of that you know what i mean they make their records they make their costumes they everything you see on that stage was made or done by someone on that stage they load in their own truck. They load out their own truck. There's maybe two techs, like like guys, roadies helping them on tour. But those dudes, that guitar player, that bass player, that drummer, they're loading their gear in and out of that. Which a band at that level, not to let you know the cat out of the bag, but it's like bands at that level don't touch their own gear if they're not on stage. You know, <laughs> those guys do. And uh, it's 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 a it is a hard job being in Guar, man. It is. Yeah, it, it's you know, and even when when Dave passed away, like you know, like they that band continued. You know, like it's almost like if Kiss didn't have egos, what it would be, where like the the band is larger than the people in the band. Like the, what you're exactly. building is, is a collective thing. Exactly. How many bands to to a greater degree have carried on without their singer? You know what I mean? Like, doesn't happen much. And I mean, say what you will. There's a lot of people that don't listen to Guar anymore because Dave's not there or whatever. But I think they got Mike Bishop to be the singer. Mike Bishop was the original Beefcake the Mighty, the original bass player. Mm-hmm. So it made a lot of sense. He he knows he knows how the show works. He was there. It's sort of the DNA of the band and how it you know became what it is. And he does a great. He does a fucking great job. He used to sing a bunch of songs, The Road Behind, a bunch of other songs that were like bigger Guar songs in his tenure. And he's on the first, like, you know, God, the, the first great, few great, you know, records when they came out. So he really understood the band. And man, he's killing it. I think his voice is amazing. His character's rad. And, and if you go see, you know, I mean, still to this day, teenagers are getting introduced to Guar. You know, it's like this sort of you know, starter kit for metal and, you know, all things weird is like you, you have a guar patch, you know, still, yeah, it hasn't gone away, which they lost their fucking singer. It's, it's a true testament to who they are, man. Well, I think, I think it's something you, and once again, you would know this way better because I only met him a few times. And when I met him, actually, he didn't, I don't think he even broke character maybe one time, but like, but hardly at all. You know, I think, I think he would want that. Dave would have wanted this. Like this, this is his dream is to have something that's, bigger than him as a person and guar is an entity now oh absolutely man he i think he would have it would have crushed him to know that that he would have ended it Mm -hmm. you know and Mm -hmm. i think everyone involved knew that that to their core that dave would have really been upset if everybody just wrapped it up 
you know, he worked too hard for this to be a thing. You know, it's almost like an X-rated menudo in that sense where it's <laughs> yeah. like you can you can just put somebody else in that costume. There's been a lot of people in those costumes, you know, yeah. and it still carries on. And I think that was the whole idea for it. I mean, I remember we were <laughs> when I was in the band, when I joined the band within the first week, there was that VH1 show. Where are they now? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and uh they did it on Guar, which for me, being this kid, I just joined this band that like this has been shows doing a special <laughs> on like, where are they now? I'm like, ah, oh, fuck. But Dave, even on that interview was like, Guar is something that can literally go on for hundreds of years. As long as the spark and the, you know, the, the, the right people maintaining it, know the sort of DNA of it, the core of it, what it's about, we can continue this on. And, I think those those words ended up being, you know, immortalized, really. And I think that's exactly what's happening with it now. Yeah, like I think they're one of the most interesting bands to kind of emerge from like like DIY. Is Absolutely. Because you've got like like how many bands like how many storied bands had a TV show and were in movies and like still continued the band and still right. did like all this stuff in addition to like all these other kind of outreaches that they made into other worlds and inspired like yeah, I, we we I think we talked about this, but the, you know about the Christian Guar. No. Oh wait, no. Yes, you did tell me about that. Yeah, like so. You know, they even inspired people that I'm sure they would be adversarial to on Absolutely. intellectual levels to to do this. There's there's so many, dude. I mean, you can't tell me that bands nowadays that wear masks and do that sort of thing. There's not Guar in their DNA. You can't tell me that they just came up with that. And of course. Kiss is in Guar's DNA, and all these things begat each other. But I just, I didn't want to live in a world where there was no such thing as Guar, and I'm so glad I don't, you know. And I'm so honored to have been a part of it. It's, and it's honestly like, dude, I can't tell you, you know, being in Rise Against is, is the amazing thing. But I will say this like, if you're at a party with a bunch of regular, average ass people that just sort of, listen to music but aren't like guys like you and me that just you know do it you know obsessively you say um i you know what do you do for a living i'm a musician what band i'm in this band rise against huh and you're like ah you know whatever and then you go i was in guar everyone i've never (laughs) had someone to go i've never heard of that yeah you know what i mean never had that happen well they're empire Uh, records right like (laughs) exactly it's definitely like a a band that crossed over and it's funny because it's almost like well, like you're saying, like it, it's it's so the anti of what punk is, right? Where you're supposed to be as real as possible, and like you know, you're supposed to be Ian McKay. And it's amazing how it's kind of like parallel that that you know, ultimately Guar through Dave would kind of rise, kind of side by side to where like this whole Ian McKay Discord thing would also be happening. Um, Absolutely. And it's it's so funny, like the completely different ways the DIY spirit goes in those two people. Mm-hmm. Mm. Exactly. But, but the seed is the same, Yeah, you know, it's that same, I'm going to do this because no one else is going to. And I have this vision and this idea. And if you want something done, right, do it yourself. And he fucking did. And he found a gang of people that were as talented as he was if not more in many in, in, in different areas mm-hmm. and they became each other's strengths and weaknesses. And Jesus Christ, man, when I joined, I was not prepared for it. I just was like, <laughs> oh, I'll just join and play guitar. It's yeah. going to be great. And then so much more is asked of you to, to show up, to be in that band. And, and, you know, now, man, their band, the, 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 the guys you go see in Guar right now, that is a very, very good band. It's, yeah. Michael Dirks and Brad Roberts, who have been in the band since, geez, uh, the Scum Dogs of the Universe record, which is their biggest, you know, if you're a fan, that's the record you love. Uh, Casey Orr is back as Beefcake the Mighty. And Casey replaced Mike Bishop in the first place back back then. And Casey is the one that got me in Guar. Uh, on our part one, we went, I went off on Rigor Mortis, and that's Casey was in Rigor Mortis. Mm-hmm. And uh, Brent Purchison is the other guitar, is the Pustulus Maximus, who's just this fucking crazy, amazing, great guitar player. And then Mike Bishop is the singer, who's and you know, Guar OG DNA. You know, so it's it's a very good version of Guar. What's happening right now? It's also funny because like you know, Dave. I think it's in America's Hardcore book. He talks about how like how alienated he felt from that DC capital 
you know, H capital C hardcore scene. Dude, absolutely. He he, he never really got over that. He talked about that a lot. But then again, if you talk to Dave for 10 minutes, you could tell Dave wasn't going to fit into that scene, man. There was no way. (laughs) There was no way. (laughs) Dave was such an original. Like I will never, I have never, nor will I ever meet anyone like him ever. He was the funniest guy in any room. He was the smartest guy in any room. He was sort of, um, I, I forget the word, but, but the guy was good at almost anything, you know what I mean? He's just one of those people that could sort of do anything very, very well. And he chose his, to use his powers for, for Guar, which is fucking genius. He could have done anything, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? I love, I love uh, thinking about the DC scene and all the people that fled it because they felt it was like, you know, you know, in Dave's case, creatively restrictive or, or just like intellectually restrictive or just restrictive in some capacity. But like, then you get into it, you're like, oh, Pussy Galore too, Royal Trucks, like all these bands Absolutely. were kind of like in there. Yes, exactly. That, and, and it was eclectic. You know, we just hear about the, the sort of more stylized discord umbrella, you know, and when I think DC hardcore, DC punk, of course, you only think of that. But I mean, shit, you know, you're right. You know, you bring up those bands. It's like, I never, yeah, at first, I never knew those bands were from there. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And why would you think that? You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Now, the only thing they yeah. reveal in Pussy Galore is they have fuck Ian on the back of their seven inch. What is that? Now, maybe that's kind of a dead giveaway. That was, um, a, that was their, I guess, well, that was their connection to the scene on that record. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I love that fucking guy i gotta admit i mean i'm uh i got to go to well it's it's it's, it's super it's too uh name droppy but we got to go to the the discord house one time it's still one of the greatest things i've ever done in my life well um, since since you've been on the podcast um myself and chris o'toole host of footnotes um uh, who you went on tour with all those years ago and only crime oh, when yeah. he was with Alex on fire but he and i also got to go to the discord house and it feels like as a punk rock person um, no matter how cynical you are and, and jaded, and I'm pretty cynical and jaded, it, that is as close as you will get to a religious, like... Dude, it's like going to the fucking White House or something, it man. It feels that It's way. like, yeah. you know, it's insane. You just, it's just these, it's, it's, it's the closest thing that I have been to, like, holy relics and shit. Like, that's where you rehearsed, and there's the skateboard on the cover of the fucking Salad Day 7-inch, or, you know, whatever it might be. It's just like... Holy shit, man. Um, but I digress. Um, you know, to get this around to, like, I forgot to, we, we went off on the Guar thing. One thing I have realized about what I've done is somehow with bands that I, I've always managed to sort of have a band with some sort of shtick, you know, like <laughs> hack fish war suits. Yeah. And then I joined Guar. And with Dracula's, which is the thing i'm i guess the thing i'm promoting right now is that, i guess that's fair to say yeah well it's, um, it's dracula's week here because we have you and mike in the same week so it's uh in celebration oh. of the new album oh well thank you thank you that's right thank you so much for giving us the opportunity um i guess i'll finally get to the thing that i was supposed to be talking about instead of um because i will talk for hours and hours and hours um well i kind of wanted to do another thing with 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 a shtick with an image with a thing that we did you know mm-hmm. and I, it always you know with Hackfish it was like one of those things where if you played a festival whether you loved us or hate us you were going to remember the band that looked different than the other bands <laughs> do you know what I mean yeah and I always wanted to be that like I didn't want to just look like the guy that was standing next to you in the crowd you know give you something to look at you know to give there's some pageantry some sort of sense of show and in 2013, I believe it was, um, I, I've been friends with the Riverboat Gambler guys for over 20 years. We're all from North Texas, and uh, they're actually from Denton, which is about 20 minutes away from Sherman. Where oh, I'm I want to get into this with you, definitely. Okay, okay. And and they were a part of this really great music scene. Uh, one, uh, it's them, there's a band called the Reds, um, uh, the Odd Fellows, which those two bands ended up d- turning into uh, Mark Men. The Mark Men, yeah. And even though Mark Men were, we were all friends with them, everyone just loved that band so fucking much and became like the staple of the Denton sound. Um, <clears throat> and so about 2013, Rise Against had a, 
an indefinite amount of time off. We knew it was going to be at least a year. And at this point, the gamblers and myself, we'd all moved to Austin. Uh, I moved here in 2000, a year or so later. I just, I was writing these songs. They just started happening out of nowhere. It sounded like if you mixed the Denton sound, like the Mark Men, Jeff from Mark Men had started a band called Radioactivity, and his partner, Mark Ryan, had started a band called The Mind Spiders. All of this put out by Dirt Nap Records. Dirt Nap Records is like the, the, the label. They're out of Portland at the time. Um, they sort of signed most of those bands from the scene. You know, Mike and Mark and Jeff had a band called The High Tension Wires, and you know, just this. All these bands are great, by the way. If anybody hasn't heard any of these bands, pick up any of their records right now. They're all amazing. Mm-hmm. Well. I wanted to mix that with the Dickies and with Devo and the Buzzcocks and then whatever other, you know, weird post-punk and 80s new wave stuff from Flesh to Lulu to the early cult to anything I could throw in there. The Stranglers to fucking The Fall to, you know, anything that I had like had in my head, I wanted to throw it into this band. And they were all game, you know, Mike and Rob had tunes written that were all kind of similar. And we started this band and we conceptualized the like, we have to have something we do on stage. It's got to be a gimmick. Mike is the greatest frontman of all times, in One my of, opinion. Yeah, without a doubt. Present party excluded, by the way. No, I, 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 I said I, to I, him. I'm putting yourself in there. Well, I, I talked to him on the podcast when he was on. And I'm like, you're one of the best to ever do this as being a front person. Like, you are that guy. It's unfucking real. I remember going to a gambler show in the late 90s in Dallas at a fucking uh, laundromat. And Mike, I just re- thought, I was like, I'm seeing the bastard son of Iggy Pop and, you know, fucking Darby Crash. And it just every great frontman that has made you feel like shit's going to go weird at any moment. You mm-hmm. know, that mm-hmm. sense of this dude's fucking nuts and he does not care, you know, Lux interior, just all of it. Uh, but also is just super sharp and witty can hold the crowd's attention, can get the crowd to do anything he wants. He just has it. He just always had it. And I was like, I want to be in a band with that guy. So given these elements to him, he just took the whole image concept and ran with it and created these characters and this whole concept for the band. The Draculas are this, um, New York street gang in this sort of fictionalized era of the warriors movie from the eighties yep. <laughs> where all the street gangs were sort of cartoony and Hollywoodish. And, uh, the Draculas were in that era, that, that sort of world, but they were off camera <laughs> and, <laughs> and this is their story. This is their world. And, you know, the new record has to do with like, it's, it's a few years past all that. And it's set in a, you know, it's, it's sort of like when video games have become a thing. The main character is a guy that's a, he's a male prostitute, but he's also like a, like a video game wizard. Uh, it's just crazy, man. He's constantly adding to the concept and everything. And it's, it's such a, it's such an awesome thrill to be a part of it, man. Well, you know, it's the record's fantastic. And I'm funny, you didn't bring Thank up the damned. And I definitely like, it obviously doesn't sound like you're trying to be the damned or anything oh, like shit. that, but I, I hear that. Influence. And that's a dumb thing for me. Cause it's so integral, so yeah. integral. Yeah. The new record rips. That, like, oh, it's awesome. Thank you, man. And, you know, it's it's funny because I, I can't believe I left out that that, that huge, huge – because that was kind of one of the things when we, once we were doing it, everybody was like, man, sort of ripping off the damned here. But I fucking wear it on my shirt sleeves. You know, my, my – I, I, A, that's one of my favorite bands of all time. And, B, I liberally ripped them off <laughs> or tried to at least. Them and the Dickies, I feel like I owe them both royalties for the Dracula stuff. <laughs> Um, I, I guess the one thing I definitely wanted to get into that came up on the episode with Mike is how a much of a divide there was at the time of, you know, the skeleton kids and, and, uh, the, the, between the Denton scene and the Dallas scene, like he brought up the fact that it was almost like, like geographically very close, but like worlds apart. It was because the Denton scene, you know, in Denton, it's a college town mm-hmm. and it's. The, the clubs there, like Hackfish would play the clubs there. Hackfish had like done real well in Dallas. So we would go there and play these they're pretty lame college clubs. Yeah. You know, they'd have cover bands and it would be just, you know, a bunch of fucking bros. Subsequently, my brother got in like three famous fights from us playing <laughs> Denton. Um, 
just college dudes, same fucking deal. You know, we're the band that just played there, and there's got frat bros after we're done giving a shit. So um, we had sort of become a band that would play there, but those guys would just do house shows. And the house shows in Denton were fucking legendary. And um, at the time, I don't think I was cool enough to be invited or to come out, but I I knew the guys really, really well. But I would just go to see their shows when they would play anywhere else. With the Denton scene, it's like you kind of had to be one of them, you know? You had to be inside of it all. Um, but then every time any of them would make a record, you're like, fuck, these fucking guys. What's in the water there? You know, it's just yeah. crazy. All the bands were so fucking good. And and subsequently now, actually, it's funny because because I'm in Rise Against, and because Rise Against is the busiest band in the fucking world, and a lot, Mike and I have launched the Draculas, um, he had to do a recent tour without me. And we basically just found three kids from Denton that grew up with those bands. They're young, too young to have gone to the house shows and to have been a part of all that. But they grew up with the Mark men and the reds and the odd fellows and, you know, mind spiders and high tension wires. And so they just were crackpot at like the thing, you know, there's like this really close fast tight knit hi-hat thing and you know what i'm talking about it's like the ramones local live record where they're just playing so fast and the hi-hat is it's closed and it's playing so fast um and that's just it's just what for whatever reason a part of the dna and it's all over dracula's music and uh man these kids they toured without me it was like three kids that weren't even on the record the drummer the bass player and the guitar player and they're fucking great and they sound amazing it's just it's great you gotta watch out you're gonna uh cast yourself out of a job i know dude right <laughs> i think that for now the draculas the captains of the draculas are me and mike um yeah. and we'll be you know it's kind of like steely dan at this point like the draculas are a punk rock steely dan it's me and mike <laughs> and then you know we'll have different people record on the records people that are in the band of course uh my brother have my brother come out and play bass just kind of build the record and then have a lineup that goes and tours. As long as it's Mike up there, you know, that in my head is like, well, there's the Draculas. It's kind of like that band Ghost at this point, which I think are a fucking genius. But you never know who's in that band behind that singer. As long as it's a singer, you know what I mean? And a yeah. lot of people disagree with that and, you know, whatever, don't like that. But it's like this is with with what I already do. This is just kind of how it's going to have to be. Uh, going forward well that's why you guys got to get masks for the characters now because like that's the next i agree because then i agree then you don't even have to like look at mf doom like he wasn't even showing up for his own shows after a while which is fucking genius though you know it's fucking genius because then you find out afterwards like oh that wasn't even him you know i still had a good time you don't even know it at the time you know what i mean it's funny because the guy that replaced me on tour was also a bald guy and so he would have people come and ask him about Rise Against, and he just got kind of sick of saying it, so he would just like answer their <laughs> questions and stuff. Which is and just funny. pretend to be you. Yeah, yeah, which That's is pretty awesome. great. Well, I always so now we... to fu- sorry. Go, oh, on. go ahead. I've always had to fucked up. Like, if they ever need to replace me, you know, Action Bronson just needs to put on a bald cap. Uh, you know, there's a lot of <laughs> a lot of portly bearded people that could <laughs> take, awesome. could take that role. It's true because from a distance, you know, it's like people didn't know this wasn't me. And we just lucked out. The guy could play the stuff great, and he ended up being a bald guy. His name's (laughs) Eric Turner, and he's amazing. Um, The bass players from a band called Stymie, they had broken up, but they were another great Denton band. And then the drummer is a guy named John Hodge. It's just John Hodge plays in Jeff Burke's other band, The Lost Balloons, which I don't know if you've heard of Lost Balloons. It came out on Dirt Nap as well. John is now in that band. He's been touring with the Bad Sports, which is also great another band. great Denton yeah. band that I didn't get to mention. Also on Dirt Nap Records. It's, it's fucking nuts. Well, funny enough, another Denton fucking alumni, uh, Daniel Freed, who has now has a band called TV's Daniel, which is his solo project, and I play on that. It's all so incestuous, Damien. It's so incestuous. But uh, Daniel is in Bad Sports. Daniel is in Radioactivity. And Daniel is also now in Dracula's he's playing bass for Dracula's but he couldn't go to her because Rob had to leave Dracula's um and so Andy from Stymie played it's just it's 
if 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 you're from North Texas and you can play this style of music, you're just gonna do it in like 17 different bands or something. It's crazy. Well, and especially like specifically talking about the Denton, like for this like college town to be churning out bands like Parquet Courts are from there, and then like I had no idea that Brutal Juice was from there and that whole scene. Um, Absolutely, John Hodge, who I just mentioned, plays uh, playing drums. He actually I think did a stint playing with Parquet Courts actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 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 a uh, it's wild like how certain cities just like have this knack like you're saying it's like almost like something in the water like it makes sense for like a a huge city to be able to churn out bands like that but for like one scene to kind of consistently turn itself over and become something new with valid bands it's 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 you don't see it too often you don't and you know with Denton specifically it's known for um there's the college that's there is the university of north texas and the it's unt and it's known it has a a music program that's famous worldwide and so but it's a jazz program mm-hmm. and so the the world's greatest musicians want to go to UNT to get into their jazz program so some of the greatest musicians i've ever known were guys that they had this like this it's you, you there's the one o'clock lab band the two o'clock lab band the three o'clock lab band and that just that's the times for which they showed up to practice and work on their stuff and the one o'clocker guys were always the most like just motherfucker ninja assassin musicians you've ever known. And I've known a few of those guys and they're just, it's, it's not even the same thing. You know, they're so good. It's ridiculous. <laughs> but a lot of musicians move to Denton for that reason. And so then they just start bands and then their bands are fucking amazing. You know? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, yeah. it's, 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 uh, oh, it's amazing when you go through that list of bands, like would Hagfish, when you played with any of those bands, would they be coming through Dallas? Like, would you have played with like Brutal Juice when they came through or something? Oh, we play with Brutal Juice all the fucking time. I mean, Denton and Dallas, dude, they're only, 20 minutes away from each other mm-hmm. so so brutal juice were a band that they got to sort of they played the house parties they did all that but they also played like actual venue spaces and gigs you know hagfish had a few years on these bands like hagfish had started in like 91 or 92 so we sort of you know started and then kind of did well and then went out and toured the world and put out records and all that so so by the time this scene was happening we were already kind of like long in the tooth for them and probably not cool you know what i mean <laughs> yeah um but Brutal Juice, we we loved all of these bands. So we, I mean, we would have the Reds play with Hagfish, or we definitely had the Riverboat Gamblers play with Hagfish as much as we could. Uh, but Brutal Juice as well. I still love that fucking band, man. What a cool band Brutal Juice were. Jesus Christ. Yeah, like I only had the one seven inch, and then after Mike kind of, I went back and listened to it, and then he was telling me how crazy the live show was. Ah, oh, dude, that record Mutilation makes identification difficult. Is that the live record? Uh, maybe. Okay. I only have the single, so I don't know anything beyond that. Dude, get, get everything Brutal Juice. Just get everything, anything they put out. Cause you know, they, they put out stuff with alternative tentacles and they actually went and did like the longest, most storied Guar tour ever. It was like Guar toured for like three months and then with the ex cops opening. So that was their, it was also them dressed as cops. Yeah. And I believe Brutal Juice did that entire tour. And it ended up being like a three month tour or something like that. <laughs> so it was bef- it was before me. What's the longest tour you've ever done? Me? Yeah. Uh, three months. Three, three months straight. Three months straight. Yeah, dude, it was fucking gnarly. It was gnarly. And that's awesome. Uh, Rise against? No, that was Hackfish. It was, that was Hackfish. actually Hackfish. Yeah. Well, you know what? I've done that a few times. Hackfish did it. Guar. I did a three month Guar tour with the Misfits. So what had happened was we decided to, we were doing a six week. This was Misfits where it was just like Jerry and Doyle and then like Dr. Chud and Michael Graves. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So we did two back to back six week tours and we ended up only having like four days off in the middle of it. So I didn't even get to fly. Like I didn't go home. So it ended up being a three month fucking Guar tour. And then Rise has definitely done a semblance of that where it was like. You there was such little time between tours. Like for me, I either didn't go home or I did, but I went home for like a day or two, you mm-hmm. know. And yeah. every time I do it, I'm like, I'm never gonna. That's not worth it. I'm not gonna do that again. But you fucking do it, you know. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Because you know as well as I do, any time over three weeks, and it sounds like such a fucking, you know, privileged person thing to say, but over a few weeks in Europe, your just head starts ringing and nothing is real, and you know. 
like past three weeks in Europe, you're just like, what the fuck? But you do like two months in Europe alone and you're a different person when you come back. <laughs> well, I, I don't think I, I think my longest tour ever is maybe a four week tour. It's it's that's a long one, though, dude. That's a fucking long one. Well, especially it, with it got, me. Could you imagine? Oh, my God. It would be punishment. <laughs> this doesn't stop, Zach. That would be great for me. I'd love to have you. You'd be my fucking... You'd, you'd make it be the thing that makes it go by quicker for me. Uh, when we got to a point in Rise Against with everybody having kids and everything that, like, the standardized Rise Against tour was six weeks top. Like, only. We yeah. only if we went out, we were gone for six weeks. Period. Yeah. yeah. But at a certain point, everybody started to put it on the brakes. Like, dude, I am missing my kids growing up. I don't have kids. The other three do. So we put a moratorium on it and it ended up being like three weeks with a break. Like we'll go home. Even if it's just for a few days, you got to let us go home and then we'll go back out. But we, at three weeks, that's the tops. That's the max. But of course that doesn't work so much if you go to Europe because Mm -hmm. you know, it's expensive to get over there and you, you know, whatever. So that quickly, all of those plans and the best laid plans quickly just became sort of this fuzzy, blurred line. So now it's just like, <laughs> there's no more three week rule. It's just like you go out on tour, man. <laughs> you know, you just, you can, and, and actually, with all this shit going on lately, it's made me appreciate so much what I do. What oh, yeah. I get a chance to, what I'm so privileged to be able to do. So yeah. when all this shit's over and it's fucking die out there, I don't care. <laughs> you know? Um, was that crazy, uh, giant tour with the misfits? Was that the one with the infamous Miami show? Yeah, it was the, it was that tour, which was now looking back the longest, probably one of the longest tours of my life, three months straight, but it was guar shows at that, which one guar show was like a month's worth of normal shows. And this crazy fucking thing happened where I got in the middle of a potential huge fight between the macho man, Randy Savage and the misfits. Well, cause I've always heard that from other play, other shows and, and other things I've read over the years that he was popping up at other shows on that tour looking for, for the band. Did that happen? Do you remember that at all? I remember, you know, yes, yes. I do remember hearing that. Um, and because he had suspected what was going on and I do remember hearing that, but that show particularly was the only one where I actually saw it materialize and i was scared shitless <laughs> it was such a weird like what a weird tour in general to be on because there was like obviously the hubbub when they came back again was much much larger yeah but still it was like all those shows were sold out i can imagine right oh dude totally because it was like it was if i'm not mistaken it was around halloween you know, so everybody wanted to go see these two bands that dressed up, you know, and plus it was the Misfits. And plus that version of the Misfits, like Michael Graves could could sound he could sing like like Glenn Danzig. And, and they, so they they were doing pretty good versions of like the real songs and, and they were putting out records as well that people liked. There's a lot of people that just liked like the Michael Graves era of Misfits, which is fucking crazy to me. Yeah. But <laughs> they were they were working, you know, they were doing it and. And so, yeah, it, it was, from what I remember, there wasn't, like, I remember, I, th- I believe every show was sold out. And that's why we kept, we added six more weeks. Like, we did a six-week tour, put it on sale, it sold out. And they were like, oh, fuck, we got to do another one of these. So then, you know, for me, I'm like, that means fucking three months in a guar costume. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I get, and yeah, so, it was a lot. And also, you're like, you're like, they're big venues, but it's not like there's a huge backstage in which to, to relax. Exactly. Guar can make a, a a decent backstage room into, like, a closet because of all the bullshit, you know? Yeah. But then again, what else do I do? You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, I can't complain. Well, it's also, like, what a career you've had where you've kind of, like, done every single type of band that you could do within punk rock. <laughs> I think it's just, you know what it is. And, and thank you. I, I think it's, it's ignorance and it's, uh, this like, like cockroaches, uh, resilience to like, I get sprayed with like raid or bug spray or whatever. And I just don't fucking die because I'm too dumb to roll over and just take it. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it's like, Oh fuck. I have time on my hands. I better go do something that's going to completely compromise my, my quality of life. You yeah. Know? So yeah. Uh, definitely. I just keep doing it. Yeah. I can hundred percent relate to that. Unfortunately, you know what I'm well. talking about? You know, you're like, fuck this sucks. And then you get home. You're like, 
I'm going to go do that again. You know what I mean? It's like my brother put it best. My brother and I both have this thing in us where it's like you're standing on top of a building and you ask somebody like, am I going to die if I jump off this? And they go, you might die. And then you go, well, but you might not. And they go, yeah. And then you jump. <laughs> and that's how I've lived my life. <laughs> um, well, the other thing that's changed since the last time I think we spoke on the record is I finally heard Government Flu. And oh my God! You were underselling that band. That thing fucking rages. Well, I, you're the one person in the world that thinks that. Um, <laughs> and it, it's so I was so hesitant to send you that because I know you have you love like band the guys like first bands. You know they're like they're like young punk bands. Yeah. And you, you love that. And and so I sent it to you. I was like, oh. And then you loved it. And I was like, oh my God. You know what? I have to send you. Okay, so right after Government Flu, we started a version of Hagfish that sounded like, I'm not kidding you, dude, it actually sounded like seven seconds and like, but not like melodic seven seconds, like, like the fast, like the, you know, like skins, brains, guts. Yeah, committed you know? for life era. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's just a video of us playing this thing called Skanks Giving in uh, <laughs> Haltom City, Texas in 1991. And it's our original singer, James Newhouse, who fucking died, actually, off, sadly enough. Um, I'm going to send you that because, oh, Damien, I think, I think it's, it's right up your alley. It's oh, I got to hear this. Like, it's kind of what I was selling Government Flu as, but it, it wasn't. So you, you got to check this out. Okay, I'm excited to hear this. Well, Zach, anytime you want to come back to this podcast, you know this podcast is your podcast too, my friend. So the door is always welcome. Well, I so appreciate that. It's it's such a wonderful honor and such a great podcast. I'm so always so touched that you uh, you asked me to be a part of it. I am I am your co-host. I'm just gonna go ahead and put it out there. So. Thank you, Zach, for coming on the show. And Zach will be back in the near future for another attack. Because Zach is my buddy, and, and uh, I love chatting with him. We, we talk a lot. Like, there have been many, many unrecorded episodes of Turn It A Punk between these recorded episodes with Zach Blair on Turn It A Punk. But, uh, you know, we'll, 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 Zach will be back for more in the near future. Um, speaking of near future, next week on the show, we got a bang-up week. we got a bang-up week. Because uh, next week on the show, it's Pittsburgh week. We're going to be having not one, but two amazing episodes featuring two completely unconnected people from the city of Pittsburgh, kicking it off with one of the funniest people in the world, in the world, John Daly. Now, if you're not familiar with the work of John Daly, ooh, you got some laughs in store for you. So check out, um, well, he's on Curb Your Enthusiasm. Uh, he was on the Corell show. He's been on tons of stuff like he is is really uh this is a good one this is a good one we could subtitle this one growing up scared of punk it'll make sense when you hear the episode okay that's it i'm not gonna ramble on anymore go out there check out terminal amusements sign your organ donor cards make your own culture stay happy stay up or try your best to do both and uh i'll see you next episode uh, i love you thanks for listening Goodbye.